Welcome to Philly Prime. I'm Dave Schratweiser. I'm lucky enough to have a second go at it with former FBI agent Dave Sebastiani. Worked undercover in New York, uh, over in Europe. Also worked undercover right in Philadelphia. And that's kind of where we're going to go first. Um, we're both from down in this area, and uh, we'd like to talk about the Philadelphia situation. And I want to go to an investigation in the early 2000s. It was uh, Operation Stain Removal. Kind of give us a brief overview of what that was all about. What were we trying to accomplish during that investigation? Well, I was kind of new to the Philadelphia Division coming from New York, and I was doing undercover in different parts of uh, uh, New York while I was still in Philadelphia. And um, actually, I was doing one Miami case, Hollywood Police Department case. So one day, the um, supervisor and the case agent, Jack Martinelli, sat around my desk and said, hey, we have an idea. And uh, how would you like to be introduced as um, as a criminal to one of the um, family members? And I'm like, yeah, let me think about it. Let me hear the whole thing. So they gave me the whole speech. And I didn't know too much about the Philly mob. I really didn't focus. I was I was strictly working on a lot of the Eurasian organized crime group, right? That and the Asians. I, I didn't really get into who the Philly mob guys were. I knew by growing up in the area, a lot of the names, the Brunos and all that, and watching your program, it kind of got me up to speed. But I really didn't know, you know, who a lot of these mob guys were, which to them was perfect, right? I didn't know specific people. So it didn't really matter. I treated everyone the same. Right. So I got asked to do that. And I said, uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. Now you uh, went to some pretty big extremes. The FBI set up a kind of a separate kind of uh, office operation and you posed as what? Well, look, I'm a financial guy, right? I'm good with numbers. I deal with money, uh, money laundering. I, you know, tax accountant, CPA, the whole nine yards. And I just opened up a business um, as a um, financial advisor, basically handling, handling money for, you know, the sophisticated investor. Right. Fellowship Road in Mount Laurel. Office uh, yeah, over it was there. just, it was just, uh, we just happened to pick that one up. You know, I know that was uh, one that was discussed in court. So yeah, I could tell you where it's at, but elite, that's already el- We don't need to go there. Elite business services, I think they called it. It was a little office set up and. At least financial services. Yeah, elite fi- financial services and that. So what's the first uh, subject, as you like to call it, that they're sending you towards the FBI? Who's the first person you're, they, they want you to kind of get involved with there? Well, look, well, I had it just in case, mm-hmm. right? So I had it as an office. Um, so when you're dealing and doing undercover that you have an office, right? So in this case, working the, um, the Philadelphia mob case, uh, if there were a situation where we had to conduct some type of business, we would do it in my office. An office just like in any other undercover operation, right? You have a business office. And the first person to actually come there was um, the uh, Ranieri. Yeah, Robert Ranieri. Yeah, Robert Bobby Ranieri was actually came in there um, prior to me doing some um, uh, paying. I paid him back money um, of some of the loan money that I borrowed from Stano. And uh, let's talk about you are... When you go to those guys, you are um, laundering money. You need money. You're gambling. What? What's you mean with the, the with the yeah, Philadelphia what's the, mob guys? What's the setup when you're going for borrowing money from those guys? What? How did? How, how do you get into that? That's well, look, I uh, the scenario was that I, I owed. A, I had a gambling problem. Although I'm an accountant, CPA, I had a major gambling problem, and I was in with the mob um, 
for a whole large amount of money. So I had to pay off my debt, right? Why my business is going on. And that's how I got introduced. Like, hey, I owed, I forget the number, whether it's fifty, dollars $100,000, and I got to make my payments on it. And that's when I start making my payments. And I used to make it to Bobby in my office, you know, on camera to pay back a part of this loan, loan balance uh, from my gambling debt, right? Or the money that was sent to me. But we also added to the fact that we wanted to borrow, as we made all these payments over a certain period of time, we decided to, it was a great idea by, by the supervisor as well as the case agent, and said, look, why don't you just tell them to let you lend you money? Like, okay, great. You know, I got in some financial difficulties. I need 50 grand, 25 grand. And that was the, that was a great idea because that, that was the icing on the cake, right? That was, that, that's what ultimately got Stano. Um, We're talking about Anthony Stano. He's a capo at the time. He's kind of uh, mob boss Joe Legambi's right-hand man. I know that for a fact because he would come and go to meetings at Legambi's house all the time, which we had on tape at Fox 29 when I was doing uh, mob talk with George Anastasia, and I was doing other organized crime things. So he's he's pretty high up the chain. Um, who's the first guy you meet in the family, and how did, how did that meeting get set up? Actually, I got set up through uh, an informant who— was cooperating with us and owed Anthony Stano a lot of money. Um, we had another undercover uh, get introduced to Anthony. This un- un- undercover wasn't uh, Jay Stone. He wasn't able to continue it because he, he was getting transferred. So they wanted to bring me into it. Okay. So and that's when I got into it. And then the first person I met was Stano. Yeah. Okay. Um, describe him for me, your impressions of him when you first meet him. I didn't say a word. Um, he was pretty... Pretty firm, wanted his money, short and sweet. You're not spending a lot of time with him. Okay, you owe me the money. You owe me this amount. Okay, this is how we're going to do it. And he kind of set up the payments, walked out, and that was it. Yeah. Now it's twenty five to thirty grand. I think is the is the situation we're originally talking about with him. Well, that there's two debts here, right? Okay, it's the yeah. gambling debt that was part of the informant's gambling debt, right? And then it was my own personal debt that I didn't take until I really got to know Stano down the line. Yeah. So I just start building up a relationship with Anthony. Okay. Remember my part about making him like you, right? I wanted Anthony to like me. And Anthony was a likable guy. Oh, yeah. he, I really got along with him. I mean, we, we went to Vegas together, yeah. his son's 21st birthday. I'll, I'll never forget that. I mean, we're, we're there for three or four days, and we, we spent dinner together. We're at the pool together. We went to strip clubs together. I mean, we, we spent time and I didn't talk any business or anything like that. And he just, you know, we just got along. And I'll never forget. I mean, we, we come in one night at 2 o'clock in the morning. I said, I'm going to bed. So I go to bed. And he says, uh, he calls me up in my hotel room. And I, I go, what's up? He goes, why don't you come up here? I'm like, okay. So I put the recorder on. I wire up. I tell the case agent. He goes, what are you going to do? I said, yeah, I'm just going to go up there. Let me see what he wants. So I go up there. So I sit down, and he opens a bottle of Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, 1972. Things worth like $2,500. I'm like, this is the best because yeah. I'm a big wine guy. Yeah. So he opens the bottle. He goes, I want to celebrate my son's birthday. I'm like, yeah, and the son's there. I'm like, okay, great. Let's have this glass. So he gets these big glasses. I'm drinking that wine. Next thing you know, I fall asleep. <laughs> I'm out for the count. Yeah. I mean, now it's 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I fall asleep, and the only, next thing I remember is Anthony pushing me on the chest right where my recorder was and says, Dean, Dean, my name's Dino at the yeah, time. Yeah. Dino, Dino, wake up, wake up. I look at him. I'm like, 
and, uh, and he's touching right where the recorder is. And at that point, you know, back then you don't have all these special recording devices. Yes, I got the, yes, I got the old fashioned you wires. You Apple watch with the uh, stuff. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, I don't whatever. know what they have now. Uh, I, know, I know what they have. I'm, go ahead. I'm sure they got some good, <laughs> yes, good they technology do. Yes, at this they do. point. But I had... Anybody who's foolish enough to fall for that now, <laughs> believe me, if you think they have it, they do. Yeah. You know? I had two wires coming up the front and, oh man, I looked and thank God I just, Pretend I just woke up. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And 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 he says, ah, I want to go to bed. And I just okay. got up and went to my room. So, okay. But it was a good time. It was Vegas. And Stano was a good guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, Gregarious guy was a bartender. He was in a union. Uh, yeah. I didn't know any of know. that, yeah. you know, but well, everyone yeah. I talked to told me yeah. Yeah, he was part of the unions. Yeah. And, well, it's the kind of guy you would get along with normally, probably, you know? Well, every time I went into a place with him in the South Jersey area or Philadelphia, boy, yeah. everybody knew him. Everyone bowed down, not bowed down to him, but everyone gave him a lot of respect. Man. Got a good table, good seat at the bar, that kind seat of stuff. Seat at the bar, whatever you wanted. Yeah. Um, Card Blanche, he introduced yeah. me to a lot of the head of the electrical union. I got introduced to a lot of different people. Um, how many times would you say you guys kind of hung out during the course of that investigation? Because I'm going to talk to you about one specific kind of. Um, well, we hung out a lot, right? I told yeah. him, you know, I told him I'm from North Jersey, and yeah. I told him, where, where do you, where's some places that you, I should hang out? And he was giving me some suggestions. Yeah. So what did, what did I do as a good undercover is prepare myself is yeah. go to these places. So yeah. I used to go to these places a lot. So you know your get, way around in case you end up there. Well, I wanted yeah. to look like I was a big spender yeah. and just hang out at these different places. One of them was in Cherry Hills, the Olive Branch. It wasn't the Olive Garden. Believe yeah. me, I would never step foot yeah. in the Olive Garden. But it was something Olive. And then uh, Chop House was another one. Yeah, we're going to get to that in yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I went to the Chop House, which was a great place. And... Um, uh, so he gave me these suggestions. So over yeah. time, when I wasn't paying him off or yeah. wasn't paying any of the gambling debt, I used to go and frequent these places. So when I do go with him there, yeah. I'm comfortable. People know me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Throw a lot of money around, that kind of thing. Exactly. Throw yeah. a lot of money around. Let people know I am there. So when I do walk in with Anthony Stano or Anthony meets me there, which we've done it several times, yeah. he knew that I was there and that people were acknowledging me like as a big-time spender. Yeah. Okay. So let's, um, let's walk ahead. We mentioned the Chop House in Gibbsboro. And let me say up front, uh, I go there often. I take my golf buddies there for Christmas dinner. We go together every year. It's a phenomenal place. This has nothing to do with the facility, but about a meeting you had there for, I think it was appetizers and cocktails. Am I right about that? We always do. Anthony yeah. never, I could never sit Anthony down at a full dinner. He yeah. just, he's the non, he's a machine. He was yeah. just running around so much. Yeah. So, for so me, you're in the cool. bar enjoying yourselves, right? I'm assuming not really talking business, having drinks and apps and things like that. Correct? Yeah, there was two great meetings at the Chop House. One, one was um, the real muscle guy. What was his name? Uh, uh, Vince Filippelli. Yeah. yeah. When he, he's one guy I do remember. That was a great meeting. We can talk about yeah, that we're one. Get to that in a minute. <laughs> and then there was a great, uh, and then there was another meeting with him when I wanted to borrow money. Now, right? This is new money I'm borrowing. I'm not borrowing old money. I'm borrowing new money. Yeah. And um, the night before I was going to get the money, I got the, I got it on that Saturday. This must have been Friday night. Um, he says, hey, I got to go down to the bathroom. Why don't you come with me? I'm like, all right. So we go down to the steps, down to the bathroom, downstairs, the second floor of the chop house. Well, let the me basement. give everybody a, a layout here. There's no way out of that basement. It's other than the stairs going up. Right. And it's a small bathroom. It's probably 8 by 10, 8 by 8, correct? Yeah. Two urinals, one stall, sink. Hit blow dryer for your hands. Walk out the door, and you're in the catering kind of area downstairs. But... It's in the back. It's downstairs. You're kind of trapped in there if, you, if you're there, if something went wrong there. 
just so we set the scenario. So you're downstairs in the bathroom. What happens? Well, they had paper too. They didn't just have the blow dryer. Yes, they, they had, had the yeah, paper right. there. Back in they the day, paper. Go, I remember every detail of the pla- yeah, 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 I remember yeah. every detail of that place, right? Yeah. So look, this is eight, nine, almost a year's worth of work of being in with Anthony Stano, relationship with him, right? So you, you could, you could actually say those eight or nine months was all arranged for that particular meeting in that bathroom. I didn't even think anything about it. I, I didn't know. I didn't realize this was coming. I real I didn't realize it was coming because I just didn't. I just didn't expect it because I was with him so many times. I never expected this out of him. So we both go to the bathroom, and he starts talking about how much he loves me, and he, I, I don't know where you came from and who you are or anything like that, but you're a stand-up guy, and you're this or that. And we're washing our hands, and then all of a sudden he turned from night to day. He turned into this forceful animal, which I've, again, I was with him eight or nine months. I've never seen this. Yeah. Like, you're fucking borrowing money from me. You know, you, you don't have any idea. If you don't pay me back, this is what's going to happen. But once I conf- I'm looking at him, Bobby Ranieri is behind me with his foot on the door, so whispering no, in, in my no, ear. Nobody can come in. No, right? there's no one in there. Yeah. They didn't speak until they made sure nobody was in there. Yeah. Again, I, my mistake I didn't prepare myself. I didn't I didn't see this coming. And Anthony is saying these things to me, and Bobby Ranieri is whispering in my ears, don't fuck with the unk. Don't you fuck with him. You fuck with him, you're going to have problems. And he kept on whispering all these things to me. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to try to fight him or try to do anything for my ego. Yeah. This is where we want our targets, right? We want them to win here. Keep on talking, right? I was hoping the recorder was working. I mean, that was my main thing. Yeah. I don't think I was really nervous because I've been there eight or nine months. Yeah. Um, I was. I thought Bobby Ranieri was going to do something to me um, at that point. I don't know what I would have done, but um, it was a it was a situation where I'm I'm thinking to myself, I hope that fucking recorder is because this is what we've been working for. Yeah. But it happened so quick. Yeah. You know, and 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 it blindsided me, but. That was the that was a big piece of evidence in court to put Anthony Stano in jail because the next day he delivered the money to me, right? And, and thank God we came up with that idea through the supervisor and the case agent to come up with this idea, right? And just so we're clear, you ended up testifying about this in court. It's all on the public yeah. record. Uh, yeah. The whole tape got played. A couple of tapes got played. You were questioned about it at the trial. Uh, Mr. Stano went to jail. Uh, he's recently out of jail kind of situation. So just so we're clear about those parts of the details. One of the things you also disclosed in court and was also in this bit of evidence was uh, you needing a bodyguard. And uh, I guess you had already either met or you knew who, or there was some suggestion that Vince Filippelli, who's a former um, soldier under John Stanfa back in the 90s, um, back in the day, he's actually a Cherry Hill guy, Cherry Hill, New Jersey guy, who's done several stints in federal prison. Um, his name com- comes up, and it sounds like you met him at least once or twice. Yeah. So here I am. Um, you know, I'm in the Philadelphia division. I don't know anything about the Philly mob other than what I grew up in the area, knowing about the Philly mob. But there are some characters that I kind of knew. And I played dumb a lot to, to Anthony, but it wasn't really playing dumb. I just really didn't know. Yeah. And, and again— John Terry and Jack Martinelli, the case agents, they loved it because I would just tell them things. I'm like, oh, yeah, he talked about this guy. I met this guy. I met this guy. And I did this. And they're like writing it down. And they were loving it. And they were 
they were so important not to tell me what was going on just to keep my head clear. Right. And, but when this guy walked in, you, you could, you could miss him from a a mile away. Yeah. He's about six foot, maybe, maybe six foot. He's probably 245, 255, maybe a little bigger. He's, he's a former huge weightlifter, bodybuilder. Um, you can't miss him when he walks in a room. Yeah. So as soon as I saw him, I'm like, I know Anthony knows this guy. So I'm, I, first thing I said, I'm like, yo, cuz look, look at that guy. Who the fuck is that guy? And then that's all I needed. To, that's all he, I needed to hear. He just starts talking about him, his relationship with, um, uh, I don't know if he, he did. I don't know if he mentioned Merlin. I don't remember, but I, I kind of wanted to put it in my terms, financial terms. So yeah. let's pick two companies. Right. I just happen to have right. buy stock in IBM and GE, which yeah. I wish I sold GE back then because <laughs> it's tanked since yeah, so then. Don't, don't we all? Yeah. yeah. So I created two companies. So, and he tried to explain to me about company A, he said A and B. And I said, well, IBM and GE. And, and that was the big thing, right? He got, <laughs> he said, company A, GE or IBM bought GE. But it wasn't a hostile takeover, right. you know? So yeah. basically, he was painting a picture of me of the two factions, I guess, the two different groups the, of the, the faction under Joe Legambi and Joey Merlino. Merlino. And, and the it, former faction, which was under John Stanford, and Filippelli was with Stanford at the time. Yeah. So you know that better than I do. Right. I didn't even know that, right? But I didn't, I didn't understand it. So I just let the tape speak for itself. And he was continuing until some idiot came up to me and interrupted, yeah. you know, interrupted our conversation and then I broke the train of thought at that point, but we got a good part of that. And I was going to hire him to do some money laundering for me. And and one of the issues, I think, is this where Stano says to you, I'm the CFO of Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he says... On tape. He he, On tape, he says, um, yeah, it was a hostile takeover from GE to IBM and I'm considered like the CFO, the financial advisor. I'm on the board of directors. I'm on the board of directors. Yeah, yeah the board of directors. I remember that headline. So you know that better than I do. I remember that headline when that when that tape got played. I mean, it was it yeah. was a, a stunning admission uh, in in different terms. But to be to get that on tape was pretty remarkable to get a, a comment like that. I bet you got a lot of smiles when you got back to the office after that. Yeah, well, you know the thing the thing about it is, you know, the, the, the mob's been getting beat up by the FBI over the years from great case agents that did some great cases work. So they've been burned a lot over the years. They're very careful in what they say, no matter who you oh, sure. are, right? Yeah. So he was kind of coding it, um, and and I think I think the point came across, right? Which was which was good. I forgot about the CFO part. Yeah. Uh, when you're on the witness stand in the federal courthouse at Sixth and Market in Philadelphia, and Stano's sitting across from you, kind of thing with the rest of the crew on trial there, uh, what's in your mind? Just just sticking to what you. Yeah, he looked do. a lot different. You just have to do what you. Yeah, he did. Yeah, look a lot he different. looked a lot different. But yeah. we saw. I saw him in the hallway. You know, yeah. we had a good conversation. He goes, "What do I call you, Dave? Dino? What do I call oh, you? Yeah. You know, Dino was your FBI. I, yeah, my, name, yeah. yeah, my son's name, my dad's name. Yeah. So yeah. I picked that name. Um, That's how I knew, by the way, you were the undercover. When I saw the <laughs> indictment, I said, "Dino, wait a minute." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I saw him in the hallway, and he just said, "So what do I call you, Dave or Dino? No hard feelings, you know, da da da." And, like, call me Dino, man. I, that's, yeah. I like that name, you know. Yeah. That's all good. Yeah. But, but uh, sitting in court with him, bother at all? Uh, no. Nah, against him? No, yeah. I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't really. I mean, yeah. everything's on tape, right? As a good undercover, you want to put everything on tape because, yeah. you know, your testimonies only give you so much when it's cooperated by tape. Yeah. I never went to any meeting without taping it. And it's, it's, it's tiresome, but you have to do it. Yeah. Every meeting I did was always recorded because you never know what was going to happen. Yeah. 
ever get to the point where they wanted you to go meet Joe Legambi, who was then the acting boss because Joey Merlino was in prison at the time? Ever anything where they no, tried there was to no start, discussion. You, you didn't push the edge of the envelope there, trying to let's see if we can get introduced here or anything like that. No, he's super careful. Yeah. yeah, no, I look, I was I was getting intel and giving it to the agents. And they were doing whatever they were doing, and they weren't letting me know, and I didn't want to know because yeah. I needed to have a clear mind of what my role was. That's it. It's just another tool, yeah. you know, just surveillance. It's just another investigative tool yeah. my account and I mean, my uh, undercover part. So um, it never got to that point where I mentioned that. If we went further, maybe. But, I mean, I, I did a lot of things with Stainer where we had three bars in South Philly, the Adelphia's in Deford. I mean, I was running into a state police guy I knew. I ran into my teacher from high school at one point yeah. and who called me Dave from the parking lot. I'll never forget. I'm walking in with Bobby and yeah. Anthony into the Adelphia's. And, and they said, hey, cuz, I don't know who that is, but somebody's calling you. It looks like that lady's calling you, right? So I go over there and I, you know, I tell her, like, look. I'm, I'm right in the middle of something and you're being recorded. Yeah. She got in the car and got the fuck out of there. And then and I walk in, there's a state police I grew up guy with, but he, I saw this New Jersey state police. I grew up with him. I knew he was a trooper. He saw me, he saw Stano, he saw Bobby. He didn't say a word to me. He knew exactly what was going Thank down. Thank God. Yeah. 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 A bad spot there. That kind of thing. But we spent, uh, you know, that night was, I'll never forget that, that meeting that day we went from Adelphia's and three bars. Yeah. And we ended up at a bar, the Triangle Bar or something, yeah. uh, in South Philly at the end. Yeah. Where there's only two people in the place, me, Anthony, and Bobby, and we walk in. And, you know, of course, everyone kind of bowed down. But one guy didn't bow down, didn't give any respect to Stano, supposedly, and that's what Bobby did. So as we were leaving, Bobby Ranieri punched a guy and started beating the shit out of the guy. Yeah. And dragged the guy out in the street, and Stano's trying to break it up. I could never talk about that in court, you yeah. know, to show that. Yeah. How, how, you know, forceful these guys were. And, and it can uh, turn in a second. And it turned in a second. Yeah. Stainer didn't try to hit him. Yeah. Bobby was beating the shit out of the guy yeah. for no reason. Yeah. And, and and Anthony's like, why'd you hit him? And he goes, he looked at you the wrong way, huh? And I'm like, okay. Um, switch gears and we'll do something kind of brief. You did a pretty good case uh, in New York. Um, kind of walk me through a little bit of that and, uh, and, and we'll kind of finish up with this just to g- give folks an idea that you were not just geographical in the Philadelphia area, but worked in other other divisions too. Yeah, so I worked a couple cases in New York. Um, one of them was a targeting a Russian organized crime group where me, and again, I used uh, Jack Garcia as my bodyguard in this case, and that was a good four-year case. But while I was working that case, I was also working the Toronto Metro PD case. Um, I get transferred to Philadelphia. I'm working Toronto Metro PD, where there's a bunch of corrupt Toronto police officers, and also working a case in Baltimore. But when the Stano case started, I was working a case in Miami, the Hollywood Police Department case. So, and we, we were portraying mob guys with Jack Garcia. So it was it was like on the job training. I'm with Stano one week or a weekend, and I'm watching his mannerisms and how he acts and what he does with his money and how he presents with people. And when I was going down with the mob with the cops down in Hollywood, I was using the same thing Stano taught me to this other group which dismantled, we end up dismantling the whole Hollywood Police Department down there, which was a great case. So it was like on-the-job training, yeah. which was great. Yeah. But we worked a good Russian case out of New York that kind of spilled over to Philadelphia, and we had a takedown of a bunch of people in, in New York and in Philadelphia tying in. That was called Red Hook. That yeah. was a, the, a case right back in the day, which tied into all these um, uh, medical 
fraud places, a lot of fraud cases. Yeah, ambulance stuff and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it was yeah, just, it was, yeah. it was a combination of a lot. It was that, money yeah. laundering, drugs. Sure, yeah. Um, Who's more dangerous in your estimation, uh, Italian organized crime or Russian organized crime? Well, look, I think— From, from both, your personal standpoint. I, I think, look, I think both of them are. I think the Italians were more difficult to infiltrate because they've been burnt so long. The Russians were a bit easier to infiltrate because they— they like the filled up. They like the mob, and they emulate the mob, and they want it to be like the mob. And then we don't call it any Russian; it's Eurasian, right? So you got all of them. You got Albanians, you got Russians, you got all these ethnic from Estonia. You got them all over the place. It's Eurasian, right? That's the whole Eurasian group. Uh, they're not structured higher, you know. I, I think stru- structured like the the mob would, you yeah. know, any of the five families in New York or Philadelphia. They're more independent pockets, as everyone knows, right? So they're ruthless. I mean, they, they don't, they're used to a different type of lifestyle, you know. Fraud is normal in their country, right? Here it's illegal, right? Um, I've always noticed about you, you always seem to have a clear head about everything. And it sounds like in some of these operations, you're switching gears. So you've got Stano going here and Toronto Metro here, yeah. and Hollywood Police Department. It, it, it must be tough keeping all of that, keeping track of all that and staying in the moment w- when you're in each of their presence kind of deal. Yeah, look, you're not working regular cases, right? So you're in that undercover role. You know, you're you're working. You're not working all four cases at the same time. One of them was finishing up, so then you're parlaying in it to another one. But that that was a point in time in my, my career where I'm strictly doing undercover, right? Strictly doing undercover for the bureau, whether it's Philadelphia for any division that needs somebody. But you, you don't want to give an undercover too many responsibilities because then he's going to make he's eventually he's going to make some mistakes. So one, two. If you do a third, it better be a low-level one. It's very difficult. But if one's about to end, then you're ready to go on a different one. And the key is getting everything on evidence so you don't go to court. You don't want to go to court. Yeah. You go to court, you're exposed, then your undercover career could be done. It could also jeopardize the other cases that you're working, right? Now, you started out being an accountant, and you ended up being an undercover FBI agent. You ever look at that? Uh, I'll, I'll end with this. You ever look at that leap? I mean, people think about accountants. They're straightforward numbers guys and whatever. And then you think about a guy who's playing all kinds of roles as an FBI in the coverage. You ever sit back and crack a beer on the beach uh, down the shore and say, wow, that was some transformation from that to that? Yeah, well, look. Courtesy of Gordon Liddy, by the way. G. G Gordon Liddy, look, <laughs> I, I come back to that. Yeah. I wanted to get into law enforcement and— um, I used a CPA, my accountant background, to get into the bureau, and I utilized that specialty and my language ability to do undercover work. Yeah. But I grew up in an area where it was just, it was a rough area, and I think that kind of molded a lot of me, a personality of trying to get along with people. I mean, I, I grew up with kids I grew up with, and we were always bad guys against the good guys. I was always playing a bad guy, right? So here I could play the bad guy, and I work for the bureau, you know, as long as you keep the straight line and try to try to get your evidence and give it to them, you know. Undercover is good, it's great, it's rewarding, but case agents in a bureau are most, more important, right? They're the ones that really put the guys away in jail. You're just a tool, you know, but a good tool. If you enjoy it, it's a good tool. You got to do it out of your own satisfaction. You don't get a lot of rewards. You don't you get be a like lot a Swiss of, Army knife, I guess, yeah, right? You do a lot of different yeah, things, right? Yeah. If I had my choice again, if my kid went to get an FBI, I'd tell him, be a case agent. Don't be an undercover. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's better, yeah. you know. Hey, listen, I've always um, enjoyed our friendship. Uh, even when it was arm's length, you were doing your thing, I was doing my thing, and, and I greatly appreciate you coming on to talk about it. I don't think a lot of people understand 
this role and how dangerous it can be, how rewarding it can be, all those those kind of things. And I really do appreciate you coming on to talk to me. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, you're a family guy. I'm a family guy. We both have sons. You know, yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of parallels there. And I, I really do – and I got to say this from just a public standpoint uh, – you, you guys put your lives on the line every day when you work that job. And, uh, you know, right now, first responders and the police, fire, medics, everybody right now, healthcare workers, hospital workers, everybody's playing an important role. And, I, and I, you know, you should know from the public that they really do appreciate, you know, the kind of work you guys do on a personal level like that because you do put yourself in danger. I know the bad guys don't like you, and, uh, and I'm sure the yeah. bad guys, they have to say what they have to say, but it sounds like at the end, even Anthony Stano kind of gave you your props in the hallway there. Uh, you know, you were still, you know, in a, at least a friendly mode right there, but I do appreciate, you know, what you did during your 26 years on the FBI. No, I appreciate it, Dave. It was good. I mean, I know you for so long, and I could never really talk about what we did. You know, let, it took us 30 years for me to actually come and do this. I normally wouldn't even think about doing this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, always a point in time for everything yeah. you know and ultimately you put the bad guy in jail right so okay. appreciate you doing it thanks for uh, listening to philly prime again this week come back and join us again 